Well, children, I need uh, your vote on something, okay? This is a very hard question, and you're going to have to vote on it. Are you ready? You're going to have to use your brain power a lot here. Ready to go? Okay. Put your hand up if you think I'm dead. Put your hand up if you think I'm dead. None of you? No, one. Okay, good. I am dead. No, I'm not. Am I dead? I look pretty alive, right? I've got some breathing going on. <gasps> I think my heart's beating. Yep, heart's still going. I'm still moving, so I must be alive, right? But did you know that when Adam and Eve sinned, God said there was a punishment? Does anyone remember what that punishment was? Yes, that was a part of it. But if God said, if you eat of the tree, what will happen? You will die. That's right. Now, question. When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, did they die? No. Hmm. That's problematic, isn't it? Did God lie? No, because God never lies, right? They died later on, true, but they didn't die straight away. And God said, you will surely die. So, a little bit later on, we're going to be thinking about people dying and people or people being dead and then people coming back to life again. And I think, what does it mean for us to be dead? Not actual dead dead, but like dead and punishment. Well, how do I help you understand that? And then I remembered this lovely pot of flowers over here. Do you see this beautiful pot of flowers? Whoever did it, great job. Here's this lovely pot of flowers. Don't drop it, Logan. There's this beautiful pot of flowers. It's lovely, isn't it? Now, are these plants, are these beautiful flowers dead or alive? Alive. One of them, oh, a little bit looks like it's dead. Yeah, okay. Uh, if we leave them here till uh, next week, how alive are they going to look? You're gonna, yeah, they're not going to look great, eh? What about next year? They're going to be super dead, eh? In a sense, you could say these flowers are dead. They don't look it, but they're kind of dead because they're cut off from what? The plant, that's right, and the plant gives them life. And that's, that's what it means for Adam and Eve and for us to be dead. We're not cut off from a plant, of course, because we're not plants. I think. But we're cut off from our life source, aren't we? And I better put these back before I drop them because that's going to be real embarrassing. Um, easy. Good. Um, we're, we're cut off from the life source so that we can no longer live. We may still physically be alive, but we're actually dead. And the Bible tells us that the world's filled with people like that. And we're going to be considering today how those dead people can come to life. Did you know that Ming, the guy we just baptized, he used to be dead? Crazy, eh? And I used to be dead too. And in fact, everyone in the whole world that's ever lived has been dead or is dead. And the only way they can come to life is through Jesus Christ. And Paul's going to help us understand how that happens. So you're going to have to think really hard today in the sermon. And then I want you to come and find me and tell me how dead people come to life, okay? So let's pray and ask God to help us understand. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that uh, though we were dead, yet we have been made alive. And that there is life. 
And we pray that, Lord, as we consider your word later on and, and as we read and think and hear, that you would give us hearts to believe what you have to say. We pray for these children that, Lord, even now in their hearts would be flowing life. We thank you for your covenantal promises to them to be their God. And we pray that you would bless them with yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible with you today, we're turning through to the book of Titus. Sorry, we're not turning to Titus. What am I talking about? That's this evening. We're turning to Ephesians. Force of habit. We've been working our way through Titus. We're turning to Ephesians today. Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 10. Very special passage to many of us. In my mind, one of the greatest summaries of the gospel. Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 10, and our word for today. And this is indeed God's holy and infallible word for you on the Lord's day. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word to us. And before we come to consider it, let's come before him in a time of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that that as we gather before you on this Lord's day, that you promise to speak to your people, that you, our King, address us as your subjects, that you, our Father, speak tender words to us, that you continue to lead us in the way we should go. And we pray, Father, that as we hear the voice of Christ today, as his word is preached, that we would indeed see your glory, 
that we might see Jesus Christ by faith and worship him in the preaching of your word. We pray, Lord, just like it was for Galatia, that Jesus Christ would be portrayed publicly as crucified in our very midst through the preaching of the gospel. We ask that you would give us ears to hear and you would give us hearts to believe everything that the Spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Everyone loves a good miracle story, don't they? And miracles, it's one of those words that gets thrown about pretty frequently. You see it in movies. You see it in casual conversation. My, my favorite of this is whenever a baby is born, everyone says what? Oh, the miracle of new life. Um, as much as, you know, I don't want to down on people's parades, it's actually not a miracle. It's just, you know, part of the way God's made us is to procreate, right? Uh, we can use the word miracle in a very sort of popular way like that. When something fortunate we happens, we say, that was a miracle when I had my car accident and destroyed my car and hopped out with a scratch on my finger People said that was a miracle. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if I should call it a miracle or not, but miracles actually do have kind of like a technical definition. Uh, a miracle is something that goes against the ordinary means or ordering of creation. Hence why having a baby is not a miracle, I'm sorry. But you can still call it a miracle because it's super cute. But other things are, right? We do hear of miracles. In fact, we've actually testified to a miracle today, a real miracle. The raising of a dead person. That's a miracle, right? When, when Jesus stood outside the tomb of Lazarus and said, come forth, no one was like, well, that was lucky, right? Now, everyone's like, well, that's not normal. That's a miracle, they would have said. It is a miracle when a dead person comes back to life, and, and we have witnessed one. In fact, this room is filled with living testimonies of the miraculous power of God. Every single saved believer, every single saved person is a walking story, a walking miracle story of how God moves. And I want us to look at a miracle story today. I want us to think about the miraculous story of Ming and of every single one of us who is redeemed by our God. And Paul describes it for us, doesn't he, in Ephesians 2? But, you know, every good miracle story has to start with what? Tragedy. It's to start with a bad news. It has to be a problem. You know, the miracle's not very exciting if the person never has something go wrong, right? Well, we start with some bad news. There's no good news without bad news. If we don't start with the bad news, we can't really appreciate what God's done. And Paul describes it in very vivid detail, doesn't he? How does Paul describe the bad news? Paul says three things in a nutshell. He says, you were dead 
You were enslaved and you were an object of wrath. That, that's Paul's description of the bad news, of the state you were in. You were dead. Have a look at verse 1. You were dead in the trespasses and sins. You weren't just physically dead. Well, you weren't physically dead. You were spiritually dead under your sin, under your rebellion, under your hatred of God, under everything that is cancerous and sinful within your very nature. It wasn't just that you did bad things occasionally, but the very presence of you was sin. This is why God says to Adam and Eve, get out of the garden. You can no longer dwell in my presence. Why? Because you're sinful. You're fallen. Your nature is corrupt. But Paul says, not, not only were they dead, not only was Ming dead in his trespass and sin, not only were you dead in your trespass and sin, you were enslaved. And you were enslaved to three things. Have a look at verse 2. Following the course of this world, you were enslaved as a dead person, following the patterns, the behaviors, following what everybody else in the world did. But not only that, you were following the prince of the power of the air. We could have a lengthy discourse as to who that is, but just, it's the devil, all right? Save you some time. You followed the devil the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So you're, you're looking at the world and you're saying, that's a pretty good pattern. I quite like the way the world lives. And you are looking at the devil and saying, he's a pretty top-notch guy. I'm going to follow him. He makes for a great captain. And you're doing this while dead. But then there's one more thing. Verse 3, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and just before that, living in the passions of our flesh. So you were following the world, following the devil, and following the lusts, the passions, the sinful desires that are bound up within you. So you're dead, but like a zombie dead person, you're devoting every aspect of your being to everything that God hates. That's Ming's story. You might think to yourself, well, that's not very nice, Logan. But I'm not the one saying it, am I? God's the one saying it. But not only that, Paul drives the nail, you know, just a bit further. It's like, it's like when, when the child comes along and hits the, hammer in, the nail in, and they manage to get it to like three mils above the piece of wood, and they go, I'm done. And what does dad come do? One more time, and drives it home. And so Paul says in verse 3, you were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. What that means is there was only one way that God could relate to Ming. Wrath. And nothing else. But lest we think we're just picking on Ming, what does Paul say? Paul says in verse 3, 
among whom we all once lived. No one is excluded, brothers and sisters. This is the natural disposition of every human being born of Adam and Eve. This is your nature. And like a sheep can't fly, the sinful human being can't do anything except for sin. And they have but one fallen reality and destination, which is eternal damnation. And we can say till the cows come home, we don't like that. And it makes no difference. We can wishfully believe that everyone's going to go to a better place. You know, my wife and I just went to a funeral recently for a family member who's an unbeliever. And person after person after person stood up and said, we're so happy she's going on her next spiritual journey. Isn't it wonderful that she can be attending cruise liners up there? Isn't it lovely that she can be bossing the boss around up there? She was destined for damnation. And I do not say that lightly. And I know many of you here who have family and people you love and friends and work colleagues. And some of you sitting in this room are there right now. You are dead in your sins and without hope. As, as Ming acknowledged this morning, you are a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving the wrath of God and without hope, save in the sovereign mercy of God alone. That's the bad news. It's far worse than Sauron or a, or a ring. It's death. But you know, every good miracle story has the miraculous turning moment, right? Otherwise, it wouldn't be a very good miracle story. It'd be just more of a depressing story. And yet, that's what we find. You see, this, this miraculous story of what took place in Ming's life doesn't end at verse 3, does it? It doesn't stop there. What a depressing letter Ephesians would be if it ended at chapter 2, verse 3. But it doesn't because there's a conjunction if you don't know what a conjunction is, it's the word but in verse 4. There's a glorious conjunction. It's the word but. It's as though Paul just also, but wait on. Wait, don't stop reading yet. Don't stop listening because there's glorious good news. You were dead. You were following all these evil things. You were enslaved. You were an object of wrath. We all were, but God. It couldn't be anything else. It couldn't be but me or but man or but a system or but some aliens. There was only one person. There was only one being in all of eternity that could help us. And it was God. And it is God. 
And so Paul says, but God did something. He didn't have to, brothers and sisters. He could have left us there. But God did something. What will he do? Look at, that. Look at how Paul describes it. It's, it's fascinating. When, when you read this in the original, it's almost like Paul's struggling to find the words to express it. It's actually hard to find suitable English words to express it because it's just it's so Paul. He's just so overwhelmed with the goodness of God that he's trying to find words that would capture the glory and the mystery and the infinite nature of what God's done. And so he says in verse 3, but God being infinitely like abounding in rich mercy... And because of the, the super abundant love, this huge love which he's lavished upon us. He hasn't even got to telling us what he's done yet, right? He's like, I'm going to tell you what God's done. And then he just looks at God and says, it's his mercy. It's his love. He's poured it out upon us. And then it's like he throws in this casual reminder, right? While. While, even while, even when we were dead in our trespass. It's not that all of a sudden you had mysteriously started being a good person, you know? It's like all of a sudden you started scrubbing up a bit. You know, you stopped looking at the bad stuff and you stopped lying. So, well, I'm trying to be a good person. So, God, I'm ready for you to do the work now. So, no, so while you were still dead... Paul says, because of this overflowing nature of his mercy and grace, God comes and what does he do? Three things. He made us alive together with Christ, verse 5. Verse 6, he raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What, what is this talking about? I mean, I don't know if you feel like you're seated in heavenly places right now. I mean, I know these brown chairs are comfy, but I'm sure the chairs in glory are far more comfortable than these ones. What does it mean by, by seated in heavenly place and raised up? I mean, you know what it's like when you get up in the morning, especially if you're older. You don't feel very raised up, do you? I'll watch my dad getting out of bed. I hope he doesn't watch this. I'll watch my dad getting out of bed in the morning. It takes him about five minutes to get down the end of the hallway and get his back straight. What is Paul talking about? He's talking about one of the most glorious things that we've received, and that is our union with Christ. You see, it's not just that it's not, it's not like God sort of stood off at a distance and waved a magical salvation wand at us. You know, look at these dead people. Let me just zap them with my God power and raise them up and fix them. No, no, he, he came down in flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. The Word became flesh so that... We might be children of God. John 1, right? See, he comes down and dwells among us so that we might be taken up from death, up from following the ways of this world and the devil and the flesh, 
out of being a child of wrath and united to Christ and so permanently attached to Christ that nothing can ever separate us. And so what's happened is, though one day you will die unless Jesus comes back first, you will live. Though you are here, yet you are so united to Christ that you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Though you were dead, you are very much alive, even though you may feel very much the same as every other person in this world. You are totally different. Everything about you is different if you're a believer. Because you are in Christ. And so there's, there's this old hymn that says something to the effect of, though the saints in heaven, though more happy, are no more secure. Isn't that an incredible thought? Think about that. The saints in heaven, by all means, they're more happy, right? They're not putting up with the, the filth of this world that we're putting up with. They've been there, and they've had their tears washed away in part, but they're not more secure because they're just as united to Christ as you and I are. And so you need never doubt, no matter how much corruption comes to your body, whether it's cancer, whether it's death, whether it's persecution, makes no difference because none of those things bear any impact whatsoever upon your position before God because you are washed, sanctified, set apart, chosen. Your God has said, I am your God. And you are my people. And no one can take that away. That's why we baptize into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What we did today is we took the triune name of God and we plastered it on Ming. So that from this day forth, he is known as Ming Chen, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And just like no one can revoke your last name, no one can revoke the name of our triune God upon you. And that's what he's done for Ming and for everyone who would confess that Jesus is Lord, right? But that does beg a question, doesn't it? Is this true of you? Do you have the name of God upon you? Have you believed in Christ? Have you been raised from the dead? Have you been united to him? Have you been seated with him? Because if not, you're still dead in your sin, right? If not, you're still following the course of this world. You're still enslaved. And you're still an object of wrath. You need to be made an object of grace for it's by grace that we are saved. But how do we do that? It's by faith that you are saved, right? Paul says. 
Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. What we do is we come empty and we say, Christ, I have nothing. That's what Ming said. I have nothing. I've got nothing to contribute. I've got no family to brag about. I've got no heritage to claim. I've got no rights to claim. I've never done anything good in my life. There is nothing in the entirety of this world that would make any reason for you to accept me or love me. But you have promised any who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so here I am. You know, 1 John 5 says this just beautiful, mind-boggling thing. It says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? If you say no to that, then you are not born of God and you are going to hell. It is that simple. But if you will but believe that Jesus is the Christ, you are born of God. And you will go to glory forever. There's no third option. That's the miracle story, isn't it? From death to life. But you know, there's one more part to this miracle story, and that's the purpose. What? You know, we've got this dead object of wrath who becomes a glorious object of grace, but why? It's so that you and I, just like Ming, might be amazing objects of praise. Have, have a look at verse 7. Three things. Let me point out to you three things. They're all so, like this word, so that or that. Verse 7. So that, so God the Father did all of these things in Christ. Verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable, superabundant riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So first thing, why has he done all of this? So that, so that you might be a living, eternal testimony to the kindness of God. It goes a little bit something like this. Jesus comes back. Praise the Lord. Jesus comes back. And all the people are raised from the dead. And Ming stands up. And he stands at the throne of God. And everyone looks at him. You understand this is poetical, right? I'm not suggesting this is actually taking place, right? Okay, so Ming stands up at the throne of God before the Lord. And do you know what everybody says? Isn't Ming such an amazing guy? No, they don't say that. What do they say? Behold the kindness of God. The super abundant kindness of the Lord. It works a little bit like 
when you go to the art expo or the museum and, and you see a piece that you're amazed by, you know, some uh, gorgeous painting or a sculpture or whatever it is that you find fascinating and you see it, you, you go, wow, that's an amazing picture. But what's the question going inside of your head a little bit? How incredible must be the person that painted that thing? If I did that, it would be a two-dimensional stick figure. How did they make it so realistic? And you can see the contours of the person's face and everything so perfect. And you go, the artist's incredible. Or, or you read a stunning book and you think the author is incredible. Who is this person? What an amazing work they've done. That's what takes place, brothers and sisters. He's saved you this way. He's ordered it this way. He's ordained it this way so that everyone would see you and go, what a God. Not what a Logan or what a Ming or what any of the rest of us. What a God that he would save a sinful wretch and make him a treasure. And so there's no boasting, right? What am I going to boast about? Well, I used to be pretty dead myself, you know, and I was pretty good at following the world, the flesh, and the devil. I don't know about you, but I really gave myself into sin, and I was a really big object of wrath. That's my brownie points, brothers and sisters, and that's your brownie points. That's what you can flex about. But God displays his kindness for you in this way by making you an object of treasure an object of grace so that his name would be exalted it's like we sung earlier his name is wonderful but notice the second thing and i already spoiled it for us verse 8 so that no one may boast. And so we can skip over it because I've already dealt with it and go to number three. Verse 10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good, for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should or might walk in them. He has not freed you from sin. The flesh, the devil, brought you to life and liberated you from being an object of wrath so you can give yourself back to sin again. He has liberated you so that you might be free indeed. And he, by his grace, in order to display that everything Everything depends upon him. He's even chosen the works for you and ordained the works for you and laid out the works for you so that all you have to do is walk in them. You don't even have to try. You just literally walk forward in the Christian life and do the things that God has planned for you. So that again, no one may boast. No one may stand up at the end of the days and say, look at all the works I did. Look at this wonderful treasure of sermons I preached. Look at all the pastoral visitations I did. Look at the meetings I ran. Nonsense, because God prepared it all. 
You know, it's, it's like when our children, you know, and we smile about it because we, we delight in our children, but, you know, it's like when you do basically everything, you know, like you build the whole Lego castle and then you leave them the last piece and you're like, put the Lego piece in there. And they're like, I made the castle! Or they put the last puzzle piece and they're like, I did the puzzle! And you're like, you totally didn't do anything. We just, we just walk in the pattern of the Lord. We just follow in our, in our master's footsteps, right? I, c- I can still remember vividly going to the beach when I was a little kid. And, and one of my favorite things to do, because my dad had really long legs. I, mean, I was five, so everyone's legs were long. But, you know, my dad had re- felt like enormously long legs. He's actually shorter than me now. But he had really long legs and he, and he had big feet. You know, he'd take these massive strides down the beach. And so little mini Logan's doing what? I can walk in his footsteps too. I'm like, I'm matching every footstep as I go, stretching out. Why? Because I want to be like my dad. Because I love my dad and I respect my dad. I can remember sitting at the dinner table one day and watching my dad because for some weird reason, my dad who's right-handed eats left-handed. And I'm like, my dad cuts with the other knife. So I'm like, well, I better do that too. So I switched hands. I still eat cack-handed to this day because I wanted to be like my dad. I can remember, this is how pathetic I am, I can remember being 14 and attending a like graduation-type ceremony with my dad, and I was sitting next to my dad, and, and you know how you, know, you do this thing where you put your foot over your leg like this when you're sitting down? So he's sitting there with like his right leg over him. I'm, I'm, I'm like not paying attention to anything that's going on in this room. I'm just like watching what my dad's doing, and he's like this, so I'm like... And, and then he's like this, so I do the same thing. And then he switches legs, and so I do the same thing. Because I just want to be like my dad. I could, so beautiful, I could tell you stories. I saw this beautiful example of this with my son. We're at, we're at this little Baptist church filled with all old people. And I, I mean like the average age must be 78. And, and I love old people, so please don't get me wrong here. And, and, and so we're the only family in this church. And, and Isaiah was like this big, you know, just tiny, just learning how to do church stuff. And I would say to him, see that old man over there? Just do what he does. And he would spend the whole service watching him. And he'd stand up. And so he'd stand up and he'd be like, taking it very literally, you know. Because he's like, here's someone I want to be like. Because here's this respectable, godly man. That's what God's done for us. He's just set this pattern for us. And we just walk in it. But we've got to walk in it, right? Don't get off the path. Don't turn back away from the works of the Lord to the ways of the patterns of our flesh because we're always tempted to, aren't we? Attempted to give up the God we love for the works of this world. You know, we all love miracle stories, don't we? They're just so, so inspiring to hear. They fill us with awe. You know, as I, was, as I was thinking about this, uh, a memory came to me of uh, towards the end of uh, the Lord of the Ring book where right at the end, the ring's been destroyed. If you don't understand Lord of the Rings, just check out for five seconds or so. So the ring's been destroyed and, and Sam and Frodo are recovering and Sam's waking up in Gondor. 
and, and Sam wakes up and Tolkien writes just these, these amazing words. He says, Sam lay back. So he's just woken up and then he lay back. Why? Because he's just seen Gandalf. So we tend to forget when we read through the book that those two guys don't know that Gandalf's alive. Because you know, we've been living with living Gandalf for quite a while now. But here's, here's we Sam. He sees Gandalf for the first time. And it says, Sam lay back and stared with open mouth. And for a moment, between bewilderment and great joy, he could not answer. At last, he gasped. Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? And Gandalf said, A great shadow has departed. You know, brothers and sisters, can't we say that about Ming today? I mean, some of you have known Ming for a long time. You can say this way better. You can say, Ming, I thought you were dead. But then, I used to be dead too. Are all the sad things coming untrue? And not Gandalf. But Jesus Christ himself says, a great shadow has departed. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a joy it is for us to see dead men alive. And we think, Lord, of our own stories. We think of the way that you have called so many of us to yourself. And we just give you all honor, praise, and glory for the cross of Jesus Christ that has set us free. But Lord, we're also aware that there are many in this world that hate you. There are many dead in their sins and trespasses. There are many following the course of this world, following the course of the devil, following the course of their lusts and the passions of their flesh, and by nature are objects of wrath. And we pray, God, be merciful. God, set them free. Even today, Lord, in this very room, would you give birth to an object of grace? And we pray, Help us to be objects of praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.